your pens, pencils, paper, and whatever else you need to take notes because sports school is in session with your teacher, Coach Dwayne, a regular teacher with a sports mind. So a warm-up question as usual, why is a teacher doing a sports podcast? Well, I assigned a World War II timeline project to my students. And the students were assigned a region where World War II took place, whether that was in the Pacific, in Europe, or in Africa. And they had to pick important dates and put them on the timeline, tell me what happened, why they were important. One of my students turned in his timeline, he was assigned Europe. So he's discussing Hitler, Nazi Germany. And one of the events on his timeline was Hitler invades Denver. So this told me that I had taught this student incorrectly because this student believed that Adolf Hitler himself had not only invaded the United States, but had come as far inland as Denver, Colorado before it was ever recognized that he was here. And not only that, he put this on the portion of his timeline that was assigned to be events that took place in Europe. So he also believed that Denver, Colorado was in Europe. So I thought maybe I need to venture into sports podcasting where I tend to have a whole lot of knowledge and don't really know what to do with it. So we're going to hand out grades. We're going to hand out grades again. And this week, A stands for Alvin, specifically Alvin Kamara, who against the Minnesota Vikings was able to tie the NFL record with six rushing touchdowns. And it is time to ask, is he the best player on the New Orleans Saints? Because you hear... Michael Thomas get a lot of recognition. You hear the talk about Drew Brees prior to this year. You hear talk about Cam Jordan, Marcus Lattimore. Um, But you don't hear a lot of Alvin Kamara talk. And it was evident against the Minnesota Vikings that he was the best player for the New Orleans Saints. Now, the other side of that is Sean Payton. Kamara had an opportunity to break the NFL rushing touchdown record. And instead, it was Taysom Hill who took the snap at the goal line instead of giving the ball to Kamara for the opportunity to break the record. I don't know what Sean Payton's love for Taysom Hill is. And I'm not a Taysom Hill hater, despite my Atlanta Falcons fandom. I don't think he's a a quarterback of the future, but I do, in the role that he plays for the Saints, think he is a weapon. However, 
Alvin Kamara should have been given the opportunity. Additionally, Sean Payton, why was this game plan not implemented a week ago against Kansas City Chiefs when Drew Brees is coming off of a multiple broken ribs and a punctured lung and you have to keep the Chiefs off the field? You might have been one week too late with the Alvin Kamara game plan. But this is a game plan that needs to continue going as we go into week 17 and into the playoffs. So A is for Alvin. B is for Brady. Tom Brady against the poor, poor Detroit Lions. Put up whole game numbers in one half. He played half a game. That's why he got a B. And he didn't tie any NFL records like Alvin Kamara did. But credit goes to Tom Brady, but credit also goes to Bruce Arians and offensive coordinator Byron Lefwich, who had done what I've been asking for Tampa Bay to do for Brady to be successful. Meet him in the middle. Nobody's saying change the whole offense to do solely what Tom Brady wants to do, but meet him in the middle. You saw in the game against the Lions, there was a little bit of quick game, and once the Lions tried to you know, had to respect the quick game, all of a sudden those deep passes opened up. And not only that, there was pre-snap movement. Brady didn't have to try and figure everything out post-snap. You saw guys going in motion, and Brady was able to figure out, are they playing man, are they playing zone? All things that Tampa should have been doing all year. Now, there was no... This season has looked different. There was no preseason or anything of that nature. So maybe it just took some time to gel and to figure it out. And they were playing the Detroit Lions. But Brady in that first half, I personally need to tell you thank you because it helped lead to my fantasy football championship. RC performer. <clears throat> Brady gets a B because he only performed in a half. Our C performer gets credit because he performed for a quarter, but boy, what a quarter it was for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who came into the game for two attack of Iloa and jump-started that Miami Dolphins offense. And not just any game, it was a must-win game for the Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick is, he's, he's like Mariano Rivera was for the Yankees. Something's just different when that guy's in the game. And you know what he is. Everybody knew Rivera, what Rivera was going to throw. You know what Fitzpatrick's going to do when he comes into the game. But in this new role, much like when Rivera went from being a starter to a reliever, it's completely different. It changes the game. This role is perfect for Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Miami Dolphins because it allows Tua to get reps. But in the games where Tua doesn't look so great, you have this relief pitcher that you can throw in, this backup that you know is going to come in and jumpstart this team. 
And the relationship that those two have to understand that this is how it's going to go is amazing. And credit to Brian Flores. But there's a team that needs to be taking notes and watching what Miami is doing and this role that Fitzpatrick is playing there. And that's the Rams. The Los Angeles Rams need to put a whole lot of priority into trying to go out and get Ryan Fitzpatrick to play the same role with Jared Goff. Because much like Tua, Goff has games where you go, yeah, this guy's the truth. And then he's got games where you're like, what are you even doing? What is going on here? Our D performer goes to the Los Angeles Clippers against the Dallas Mavericks. What happened? I understand that Kawhi Leonard didn't play, but you paid Paul George superstar money. When you're a superstar, you you can't you can't let your team be down 50 at halftime. 77 to 27 at the half, and it didn't get better in the second half. Because they lost by 51. The Clippers are in trouble, y'all. I'm not convinced Kawhi Leonard is staying there. And they gave Paul George a whole lot of money. And I'm just not sure that Paul George is the superstar that the Clippers believe he is. But Clippers did beat the Lakers. And when the Clippers are together and Kawhi is on the floor, it's a different game. But the Clippers are hoping that Kawhi, nothing happens to Kawhi Leonard. Because if Kawhi gets hurt, as we saw against the Dallas Mavericks, the Clippers might be in trouble. And the Clippers get a D because Dwayne Haskins is the one that got an F. Dwayne Haskins gets an F for not just his horrid performance on the field against the Carolina Panthers. Again, shout out to the Carolina Panthers, who I also started in fantasy. Help me go to that championship. But off the field, Dwayne Haskins is caught partying with strippers, maskless in a pandemic. And regardless of, of how you feel about COVID, it's reckless. Because he knows that his coach just beat cancer. His coach has a compromised immune system. His coach definitely can't get this. And my question is this. How hard was it for Chase Young? Because the Washington football team defensively is what has them in a, in a position to, to win that division. And he's a franchise changer. I just wonder if there was like a practice in there where Chase Young thought about coming around the tackle and just hitting Dwayne Haskins as hard as he could. Because Chase Young, and you can see it on the field, that dude cares about football and winning. Dwayne Haskins does not. And you wonder, because he just got released by the Washington football team, you wonder if this decision combined with his poor play on the field, has ruined his career. Is his once believed to be very promising career 
already over. <laughs> Dwayne Haskins may be making a phone call to his former college coach, Urban Meyer, and saying, hey, coach, I need you to take a job, and I need you to bring me in as the backup. Because there is a zero percent chance that Urban Meyer brings Dwayne Haskins in as a starter. His play has proven he is not ready to be a starter in the NFL. But maybe as a backup, because of that relationship that's there, maybe Urban Meyer can can channel that Ohio State Dwayne Haskins. That brings us to our lesson for today. Our lesson for today is on the second most important position on a football team. Everyone knows the most important position in football is the starting quarterback. You, start, you have to have a above average, at minimum, quarterback to win in this league. The second most important position, arguably, after watching this season, might be your backup quarterback. It may be time for teams to start putting an emphasis on their backup quarterback. Whether that's because your starter gets hurt or is just ineffective, There are some examples out there. We mentioned Drew Brees earlier. Drew Brees breaks the ribs, punctures the lung, and Taysom Hill steps in and is able to go undefeated as a starter. Old two gloves, Teddy two gloves. I'm sorry, not undefeated as a starter, but he was able to win Lots of games for them. He was able to come in and win multiple games as, as a starter. But you go back to last year with Teddy Two Gloves, Teddy Bridgewater. He comes in and he's able to win multiple games. Look at the Eagles. Carson Wentz is proves to be ineffective. And excuse me. He proves to be ineffective. And they bring in Jalen Hurts. And Hurts is able to jumpstart that offense and get them going. The New York Giants, Daniel Jones goes down with an injury. Colt McCoy comes in and wins a football game. The Washington football team, their season turned around when they went to their backup quarterback in comeback player of the year, Alex Smith. But again, proved that your backup quarterback is important because once he got hurt, that team had to go to Dwayne Haskins and they're just not the same team. Dallas. Dak Prescott, who, shout out to the Marlin versus Marlin podcast, who gave me my inspiration to do this. 
when I was a guest on their show, Dak Prescott had more passing yards through five weeks than Baker Mayfield did, I think, up until like two or three weeks ago. Dak Prescott goes down, and their backup quarterback, Andy Dalton, Ben DiNucci, or whoever, that team hasn't looked the same. I mentioned Fitzpatrick. Tua and Fitzpatrick, when Tua's ineffective, Fitzpatrick's able to come in, jumpstart the team. What about the Lions? Stafford goes down, and that team looks completely different on offense. The Denver Broncos, regardless of what you think about Drew Locke, whether it's he's hurt or he's ineffective. The, the Baltimore Ravens, who had to play a game due to COVID without Lamar Jackson. And they looked like a Pop Warner team. You've seen Cincinnati with Joe Burrow get hurt. The importance of their backup quarterbacks. Allen has won a game. Finley's won a game. When Las Vegas and, and Derek Carr, or David Carr, no, it was Derek. I was right the first time. When Derek Carr, who sometimes plays like David Carr, goes down, Mariota's able to step in and he's competitive and keeps him in the game. What PJ Walker won a game for the Carolina Panthers when Bridgewater was hurt. And look at San Francisco. Garoppolo's hurt. Now, C.J. Beathard was able to get a win last week, but San Francisco hasn't looked the same without Garoppolo. They're not the same team, or they don't look like the same team that went to the Super Bowl. So, maybe teams need to invest or put as much emphasis and importance on their backup quarterback. Not as much importance. But maybe it is time to put an emphasis on your backup quarterback. I mean, we've seen what it can do. Look, look no further than Green Bay. Green Bay went from one legend and stepped right into another. Because they put an emphasis on their backup quarterback. Now, do I agree with where it looks like they may be trying to do that again? No, I, I don't agree with the Jordan Love pick, but I understand it. The Rams are about to face this same situation. Jared Goff broke his thumb, and they now may be turning to a backup quarterback who has never thrown a NFL pass. John Walford. John Walford, I believe is his name. Backup quarterback, undrafted out of Wake Forest. Which means that he couldn't beat Jamie Newman for the job. Oh, he was a backup at Wake Forest. And now he has to be the starter because there was no emphasis on the backup quarterback spot. Successful teams recently have seemed to put emphasis on their backup 
quarterbacks. New Orleans last year, New Orleans this year, and I hate to give the Saints credit. Washington. Even the Giants, which feels gross. Everyone gave the Eagles a hard time for drafting a backup quarterback, but when their starter didn't look good and they went to that backup, looks like a good move now. And we look at, at teams in the in the playoff hunt, what happens if if some of their starters goes down? I mean, we saw Pittsburgh last year without Roethlisberger. How good does that team look with Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges or Joshua Dobbs? You know, last year, Tennessee put an emphasis on their backup quarterback. They go out, they get Tannehill, who ends up the starter this year, but he was there to take that team over. The Colts are in a good position with a solid backup if Phillip Rivers gets hurt. We don't know about the, the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is a generational talent, but do they have a guy who can win a game if Mahomes can't play? We don't know. Josh Allen and the Bills. What happens if Josh Allen gets hurt? Do you trust Matt Barkley? The Bears? The Bears have gone back and forth with their quarterbacks. But they went out and got one. And recently, Mitch Trubisky looks fantastic since the play-calling duties have been removed from Matt Nagy. And maybe it took bringing in that backup in Nick Foles to push him. We saw how that worked out for Carson Wentz. But Trubisky looks good, and I talked about it last week. My my favorite stat of the NFL season look no further than the fact that Trubisky is undefeated. If Brady gets hurt in Tampa Bay, now yes, Blaine Gabbert looks great against the Lions. But it is still Blaine Gabbert. If Kyler Murray can't play next week against the Rams, sat out practice today. If Kyler Murray can't play next week against the Rams, do you trust Brent Hundley? I mean, did he show you enough in Green Bay that was like, yeah, that guy. It's time to realize that the backup quarterback may be the second most important person on your roster, even if they don't play, even if it is just to motivate, a la Nick Foles to Mitch Trubisky, or even Mark Brunel to Mark Sanchez, a guy that can come in and motivate and lead or mentor. Or if it's a guy that needs to come in and play, a la Jalen Hurts, Alex Smith, Ryan Fitzpatrick, because your starter is ineffective. Now, it is time to hand out Detention.
Today, attention goes to the Tampa Bay Rays of Major League Baseball. The Tampa Bay Rays today made a move that is only the second most stunning move regarding this player. And that is they traded Blake Snell to the San Diego Padres. And credit to the San Diego Padres for going out and getting a guy and going for it. They're trying to win and they're going to do whatever they need to do to do that. So shout out to the San Diego Padres. But Tampa Bay, you were just in the World Series. Blake Snell played a major role not in not only just getting you to the World Series, but in the World Series itself. And if you don't pull him early, Kevin Cash, are we singing a different tune? Does things look different? But Tampa Bay has dealt Blake Snell for monetary reasons. Look. If you're not willing to spend the money to field a competitive team, then move out of Tampa Bay. If it's if Tampa Bay is the reason why, then move out. It's strange because it doesn't seem like the Bucks had any problems getting guys to come play there or finding ways to pay them. You guys were just in the World Series. You were just there. You just proved to be better than the big, bad New York Yankees. And you traded your ace. And now Kevin Kiermeyer is on the block. No. No. No, Tampa Bay. You do not get to field a team and, and decide that you want to be semi-competitive. Go for it all or get out of Tampa Bay. You have detention. Now let's look at some things that I previously discussed that I, I, I may want to think back on. Previously, I, I gave you my, I gave you my predictions for the NBA season. Some of those, I'm all, I'm not ready to completely say I'm wrong about these predictions yet, but I'm scared already, and it's very early. The first one was my three seed in the Western Conference, and that was the Golden State Warriors, and it looks like I was crazy wrong. Adam has a three seed, and they do not look good. They got blown out twice, and they it took a buzzer beater to beat the Chicago Bulls. This is not Jordan and Pippen's Bulls. This is the recent Chicago Bulls. They don't look good at all. Phoenix, I had as the eight seed in the West. Chris Paul, does he, he looks like imposter Chris Paul from the State Farm commercials. 
not the real Chris Paul that we're used to seeing that we saw play for the Clippers, the Rockets, Oklahoma City. Love to get that one back. Love to get those predictions. And the college football playoff committee. Listen, y'all had detention last week because I said that the, the playoffs needs to be expanded beyond four teams. And I'm not giving up on that belief just yet. But Coastal Carolina, did you did you have to do me like that? Did you have to go out and lose the Liberty? Coastal Carolina, you were my go-to as a small school that deserved a shot. You beat ranked Louisiana. You beat ranked Appalachian State. You beat ranked B BYU. And then you lost. Not to a big school, but to another small school. Just to make those who argue that, no, the small schools are going to go and get blown out. Just to make my argument to give the small schools a chance. You, you killed my argument. So thank you for that. College football playoff committee, you still need to expand. You still need to expand to eight. But I can admit that maybe suggesting that Coastal get a shot, maybe I was wrong. Because they can't even beat Liberty in the whatever it was, dot com bowl. But college football did hear me. Army is going to get a chance to play in a bowl game with their nine-win season. So they get a chance to go for double digits, which is the way it should be. So I'm going to call in a co-teacher that feels similar about the college football playoff committee, does also believe that it needs to be expanded. And that is my friend Chad in California who believes that the college football playoff needs to be expanded to however many teams it takes to get Florida State into the college football playoff. Chad, how you doing, man? Uh, what's going on, Dwayne? I appreciate you having me in here. Yeah, we're going to have to expand that thing pretty wide open to get my nose in, but I just want to say thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, first episode was great. I'm glad to see you doing your thing. I know, you know, it feels good to be back in school, man. You're the dean, man, and, you know, principal head guy, and I'm just over here trying to be the lunch lady or the janitor or something. No, I got, I got you down as, as the co-teacher. So, for those that don't know, um, Chad also believes, or also takes issue with the college football playoff only being four teams, and I'm gonna let you all in, all the listeners know on how difficult this thing is and how terrible of a host I am. Chad is willing to come on, and this is the second time I have called him because the first time I did this interview, it did not record because I am apparently the worst. But bumps in the road, Chad, thank you for coming back for a second interview, even though for them it's the first time they're going to hear it. But yeah, so Chad, let me ask you first question before we get into how we think it should be changed. Do you think Notre Dame deserved to get into the four-team playoff the way it is right now? I think Notre Dame had to get in just because they beat Clemson. Obviously, it was with a backup quarterback, but nonetheless, I mean, they took the you know they took the bait this year. They jumped into the ACC. They did everything the committee wanted them to do. They only had that one loss to a Clemson team. 
Trevor Lawrence, but it's still a good team indeed. And uh, I think they earned their way. There's some other teams, obviously, that gripe about it. Uh, but we know how it is, and the ACC, the, you know, all the Power 5 schools are going to have some reservations there, and, and Notre Dame slipped in with their school history and had that with the, willing to take on the ACC, and they got in. All right. So, uh, in the first episode, I gave the college football playoff detention for not taking the COVID year to at least try an expanded playoff. I know that you also think the college football playoff should be expanded. So how many teams do you think the playoff should be expanded to? Man, first, they should have been expelled. Screw detention. They should have kicked their ass out of the damn school. <laughs> but uh, I think eight, man. I think, you know, 16 would be fun. But I think eight is the number. And, and I say that just because you still want to get your Power 5 conferences in. You know, I think the winners deserve to have a shot, obviously. And, and you want to get three other teams in. I mean, you can stretch it out a little bit more. But like you said, I mean, we have COVID this year. The NFL is added the extra team to the playoff. The NBA adjusted, went to a bubble. The, you know, baseball did their thing with the bubble. They changed their playoff format a little bit. This was the year, man. And we all know that this shit should have happened after Baylor TCU a few years back. It didn't happen then. This was the perfect time for college football. No risk, I believe, to throw something against the wall and see if it's stuck. And I believe it would have stuck. I mean, when you have Kirk Herbstreit, probably the face of college football, complaining about it, I think it's time for a change. Well, we saw how long it took to change from the BCS after all of those debacles. Um, So on on my first episode, I did a whole rant, and I said it's not fair to the small schools the way that it is. And the small schools don't get a shot. And I, I referenced Cincinnati one, which wasn't, which isn't as much of a small school, but the second school I referenced was Coastal Carolina, and they lost to Liberty in what I refer to as the whatever dot combo. Um, so did Coastal ruin any hopes of a small group of five school getting into the college football playoff? Did they just prove everybody right, and and that proves that small schools don't get a shot? What are your thoughts on that? So, I think the committee set us up, man. I think what they did when they put Liberty against Coastal is they made it to where if Coastal, they knew Liberty's a hell of a team. Liberty beat Virginia Tech earlier this year. Great team, great small school team. And what they're going to do is use that exact point. Well, we put Coastal up against another one of these small schools that, that had a, you know, a chance to make a run and they couldn't even beat them. So, you know, they don't deserve to get to the ring with Alabama or Notre Dame. You know, they don't stand to compete with those guys. But I look at it as maybe Liberty is legit too. Maybe they're, I mean, they wanted to beat Virginia Tech and Blackford. That's a legit team. You know, that's the ACC that Notre Dame is playing against. So maybe Liberty and Coastal are both just really good teams. And you watch Coastal, they're kind of like my, you know, darlings of the season, man. Betting a little bit here and there. A couple games in, I started kind of following them a lot and they were covering spread after spread. And I started doing it. You know, shout out to ESPNU for having them on every weekend. But. I mean, the bullets, the swagger, and they, they kind of had that 80s Miami hurricane feel to them, where they just, they brought it, man, and, and it was just fun to watch that team, they, you know, they took on a team like BYU on short notice, both teams came together to put that game together, and I believe that game was only put together to impress the committee, and they went out of their way to do that because they have to, while other teams can sit back and avoid games and, and, and use cancellations as an excuse. That's one thing I liked about Dabble, actually. Dabble went after Florida State, man. Florida State canceled on them. And he's pissed. And he went on, you know, went on and on and went after him. Whereas a team like Ohio State had a couple cancellations, and they just sat back and chilled because they already knew they had a table for one in the college football playoffs. Well, Dabo, well, 
you brought up Dabo. Let's talk more about Dabo goes after Florida State for canceling that game due to COVID. Coastal's in South Carolina. I didn't see him make that call to Coastal. Uh, the other team that I like to point out that didn't try to play Coastal when their games were canceled was Ohio State, who there's a debate whether they should have got in. You know, does Ohio State deserve to be in? They didn't play that many games. Um, so, you know, BYU, I agree with you. BYU decided to come over, but I think that's because it was, again, two small schools agreeing to play one another because that was the only shot they had. It's one of three ranked teams that Coastal beat, but nobody gives Coastal the credit for beating those ranked teams. Um, I guess because they were lesser schools. I don't know. But, you know, I, I ranted earlier on this episode about Coastal, you know, just making me look bad because I was arguing Coastal deserved a shot. And then, you know, they go and lay an egg against um, Liberty. But maybe it was a setup. Maybe it was a setup. hypothetically eight game playoff let's say cincinnati gets to eight more likely to cover the spread notre dame or cincinnati if the spread's the same against bama against bama Committee has a fear that one and two won't play each other.
insert SEC team here versus Clemson because Dabble is basically in the SEC. I mean, he's went down. He's totally ruined Florida State with his recruiting. He took Jimbo's recruiting path, tore it up, and now that's Dabble's recruiting path. He's down there taking all those players away from Ole Miss, Mississippi State. It's basically Bama, LSU, and and Clemson recruiting the whole South. And that's why we're seeing Clemson-Bama every year. And then you throw in, you know, your Ohio State and your Oklahoma, and that's pretty much your four every year since this thing started. And is it fun? Yes. Have we seen some good games? Yes. But new blood is always fun, man. And eight, I don't think it's extreme. If we wanted to go 32-64, you know, now we're getting too deep. There's too much football. You need breaks. But eight, and that number just sits with me, and it just sounds so perfect. So if it's eight, do you go all five power five conference champions? I think that's the fair way to do it. I think you still got to give them a chance. And that's another thing that I just can't get over is you make it four, but then you put so much emphasis on the power five. So how are you leaving out someone at the party? And look at what it's been. You're leaving out the West Coast. And... I don't know if West Coast bias is real or not. I mean, I live in born and raised in Southern California. I'm not a fan of any team out here, so I don't think, you know, I, I'm not offended by it. But are these guys in the committee, these, some of these guys are old, man. You think they're staying up 11, 12, East Coast time to watch USC, Oregon on, on, on a Saturday night? I, I don't think so. So if you if you do eight, you let your Power Five champions in all across the board, and then you got three at large, man. And then you can go down the line. Well, another SEC team make it every year? Probably, so there's your six. Then you'll probably have an ACC team or, uh, you know, a Big 12 or a Big 10 team fight for seven. But at least you'll get Cincinnati or Coastal or Boise back in the day or UCF from a few years ago or Baylor and TCU before they had to go out and create a conference championship game just to get in. You'll get at least one team in. Uh, you're not going to get two with eight. You're not going to get 50 and Coastal with eight. But you'll get one, and I think that's what we need right now. Well, I think it's, you know, you brought it up, and I had never thought about it. You know, they made it a four-team playoff, and you talk about the there's five power five conferences, and you said somebody gets left out. Sometimes it's more than just one. A couple years ago, Georgia and Alabama both made the, the playoff. If Notre Dame makes a playoff and they're not in a conference, you know, multiple conferences can get left out of this. And, and then, therefore, you know, what's the importance of winning your conference at that point? And that's why I've, I've thought – you know, you expand to eight, and if a, I've said that if a group of five undefeated conference champion should get in in that eight-team format, regardless of... Uh, I think what they're worried about, and, and it's an easy excuse, is when we do eight, let's say we go to eight, the ninth team is going to complain. And that's, if we go to 32, the 33rd team is going to complain. That's life. It happens. Someone's going to say, oh, I didn't make it. You didn't give me a chance. If there's eight, they're going to get say, well, the Power Five made it. And then six and seven were also, you know, Power Five schools. And eight was left for us little guys. But at least the little guys got a shot. No team from a non-Power Five school will ever make the playoff with four teams. It's not going to happen. The SEC is so strong that the majority of the time they're going to be hosting two of the four. 50% of our playoff teams are coming from there. Until Dabo retires, Clemson's going to have that locked up unless Florida State or another ACC team bounces back. Miami or Florida State are probably the two favorites to do that. Who knows how long that's going to take. But Clemson already has their names seated at the table. So we're looking at the next five years of Bama-Clemson regardless, unless they 
variety. It's going to be the same three, if not the same four, almost every year. It, it reminds me a lot of the, the Golden State Warriors in basketball when they had Durant and Clay and Steph, and it was just a foregone conclusion. Why even play it all out? So I agree. I mean, I agree with you. I think it needs to expand to eight. Uh, so since you're here, I know you're a, before I get to your predictions, you're a Florida State fan, one of my favorite players from a couple years ago, one of the small schools that didn't get a shot being UCF. Mackenzie Milton, he was the quarterback of that team that went undefeated. They declared themselves national champions, whatever that means. Um, the kid's a winner. He's transferring to Florida State. I know you're a Florida State fan. Your your thoughts on, on Mackenzie Milton coming to Tallahassee? I'm just excited about his leadership. I mean, when he was leading that UCF team, he was a hell of a leader, a hell of a quarterback. Can he play? We'll see. I mean, he's 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 on that kind of Alex Smith path. I mean, there's an injury that you've got to turn your head when you watch it. You only want to see it once. And, you know, you credit a kid who – who has to just keep fighting. He could have just let it go, man, and said, you know, I had a hell of a career. I made national headlines, and, and I'm done, man. I'm going to go whatever he majored in or, you know, go intern somewhere, whatever whatever it is he's going to do in his career. But he, he still had that love for the game. So when you take a guy who loves the game that much with the experience in a, in a program like Florida State, who Jimbo would, did such a great job, and credit Jimbo at Texas A&M, who, who has a shot to be in the playoffs, and they kind of got – job a little bit depending on who you ask but I mean our program fell apart after Jimbo Taggart came in I think he messed everything up he tried to he tried to bring in an offense that's not Florida State football that's more of an Oregon thing and it just doesn't fly down here with these type of players and this type of talent and Norvell came in I like him it seems like a lot of guys were kind of cleansing through the system right now we don't have free agency obviously in college you can't sign contracts this is kind of your closest thing to free agency and it's getting popular within the last couple of years. This is graduate transfer, transfer portal thing where guys are eligible to play right away. So we're going to bring Milton in. If he can perform and play, that's just the, the ice on the cake for me. I think just having him in the program, mentoring the young guys, helping Norvell out, being a guy in the huddle, bringing that brain and, and that smart to, to the team and just getting guys to buy in. It shows that we still have guys that want to play Florida State football, which is one of the biggest brands. I mean, I'm 32 years old. I grew up on Florida State football. That's why I'm a fan out here in Southern California from Danny Canale and Warwick Dunn and Peter Ward, who's my favorite player probably ever in any football. And, and just getting a guy that's going to come in and just bring a great attitude, man, because it seems like the last four or five years, we've had a team full of guys who weren't buying in and we quit on first pass. We quit during games. We've quit on the season. First, second game of the year, we've quit. It, it, it's just sad to see it at a program like Florida State. So I'm excited for Milton to come in. And try to shake it up a little bit. No, I, I, I'm excited to see it. I think the only way you get away from the expectation that Alabama and Clemson will play each other is for these, these bigger name schools to, to come back to relevance. You know, Florida State, Miami, the two that you referenced, Texas, USC. Um, you know, those schools have to. Michigan. Those schools have to to come back to relevancy for for us to see more. Um, What's the word? Diversity is not the word, but some different teams get into the mix. That, or like you said, expand to eight. So, before I let you go, I got to get your prediction. Semifinals and finals of the college football playoff, the way it is right now. Who you got, round one and in the championship game? <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to use the spread, too. I know a lot of people take the easy way out, and they'll just get to the uh, big to win, and, and they don't care about the spread, and they'll brag about how smart they were. So, last time I checked, it was. Bama favored by 19. 
better quarterback, but he has the system behind him. He has the coaching. He's in rhythm right now. I look for Bama to win and be national champions once again, man. Saban gets the crown that he has had for the last few years. Only dabbles, you know, dabble and Saban back and forth, taking turns with it. I, I, I don't know. I, I tend to, I tend to agree. I, I get to that championship game, and then it depends what day you ask me which team's gonna win. Uh, but again, thanks for coming on, uh, everybody. If you have Twitter, follow Chad at Cali Chad and the number one. Follow him on Twitter. Make sure you uh, tell him that you heard him give LeBron credit when you tweet at him. <laughs> Lately, man, you might as well tell me right there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you. Uh, I believe I'm the first guest and also the second guest since we did it over. Yeah, but uh, yes, I appreciate you having me. It's, it's super cool. I like the vibe. Uh, I like the way you're going with it with the whole school thing, man. I appreciate it. I'm gonna keep listening and, and I hope to be on again, man. Thank you. I right, appreciate it, man. We'll have you on uh, when the NBA season gets going. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. All right. homework your homework for the day is to go and look at the Hall of Fame career of Phil Negro who passed away from cancer in his sleep over the weekend Nuxie the knuckleballer Phil Negro was a five time all star Five-time gold glove winner. Pitched into his 40s. Pitched in three different decades. The 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. 1977 strikeout champion. Struck out the most batters in baseball. 1967 ERA champion. Lowest ERA in baseball. 318 career wins. 245 of those 318 were complete games. You hardly ever see complete games now. But Necro, when he took the when he took the bump, there was a shot. He's going on nine. So if you couldn't hit him in the first, you better hope you figured it out. 3.35 career ERA, over 3,000 strikeouts. He's got two stats that are like some of my favorite stats about Phil Necro. Oldest pitcher to ever pitch a complete game shutout. It just so happened to be his 300th career win. Does this with the Yankees. 300th career win. Oldest pitcher to pitch a shutout. And he didn't throw his famous knuckleball until the last batter. The very last batter, he finally threw his first knuckleball of the game. 46, 47 years old. Complete game shutout, 300 career win. And another one of my favorite stats about Phil Negro. Phil Negro had 29 saves. It would be fascinating to me today to see a team in this era of, of bullpen. You have a dominant 7th, 8th, and ninth inning guy. To have a closer whose go-to pitch was a knuckleball. Because the hardest thing, in my mind, the hardest thing to do in sports is to hit a baseball. But could you imagine 
all game, you get a starter that's throwing mid-90s, low to mid-90s. Then they get into the bullpen where it seems like every bullpen pitcher throws upper 90s to 100. And then to come in and shut the door, you get the old knuckler coming in at 50 miles an hour. You've timed up mid-90s to 100 all day, and then this guy comes in throwing a dancing pitch because at least the fastball goes straight. This one throw, This guy comes in throwing a dancer that comes in at 50. Talk about throwing your timing off. How great would that be? But Phil Necro passed away this weekend, prayers out to his family. But he did have 29 saves in his career, um, along with his being the oldest to pitch a shutout. One of my favorite stats. Prayers out to them. Go look them up. Go watch the knuckleball do its dance and go do its thing. It's a beautiful and a fantastic thing to see. And 2020 takes another one. And I can't wait for this year to be over and to go into 2021 with you guys. I hope you had a wonderful holiday, whether it was Hanukkah, Christmas, or whatnot. You're going to get another episode this week. You're going to get your second dose of sports school starring Coach Dwayne himself. Be sure to go check out the Marlin versus Marlin podcast. Podcast that gave you my inspiration to do this. If you enjoyed this, you'll love that. And until next time, Coach Davison is out.